my least favourite potato field. Not quite up to my ankles in mud because the rain, although torrential, has chosen to flow through the various ruts and gullies left by the harvesting tractor. And so I'm able to step over it, or even when I step through it, don't go up to my knees in mud. But I am still thinking about the Gemini business and in particular the motivational aspects of all of this and what they tell us. Because one of the things that has occurred to me, or in fact occurred to me as I was starting to negotiate the potato field, is that one of the assumptions that human beings have made, one of the assumptions that this whole series of going on for 450 episodes has set out to challenge. I'm sorry about the wind, if it is wind. If you can hear it. One of the assumptions that we've set out to challenge is the notion that we even know what our problems are and therefore that the, the solutions that we attempt in order to address those problems may prove more counterproductive the more successfully we achieve them. What exactly do I mean by that? I've said it many a time before, but let me say it again, is that if what you want is, so to speak, not what you would, I won't say should want, because that's to suggest some sort of metaphysical external criterion by which to determine such a matter, but if what you want is not fulfilling, if what you're chasing after is the kind of food that does not satisfy and the kind of drink that does not quench thirst, to quote the prophets again, if that's what you're doing, then the more successfully you achieve that, the deeper into the mud, I'm surrounded by mud, so believe me, I know, the deeper into the mud you will be digging yourself or the deeper the hole into which you are already fallen will you be finding yourself excavating. So the problem with solving the world's problems as the world conceives them is that they may be problems that only arise from a framework which is itself bankrupt and therefore that what we think of as being our problems aren't really the problem. And therefore what we think of as their solutions aren't really solutions. They're ways of making things worse. They're a bit like the alcoholic whose solution to his alcoholism is to drink more. Or the drug addict whose solution to his addiction is to take more drugs of abuse. So one of the reasons why this series is called Unmaking Sense is that it wants to suggest, it does suggest it, if I could be so bold, insists that the very things that we think the most obvious, the most desirable, the most to be sought after 
are, in all likelihood, the very things that trap us in a world that is not in our best interests, in which we are not likely to thrive, and in which our solutions will serve only to make the hole into which we have fallen, or the pit into which we have fallen, even deeper. That may make you think that I'm feeling particularly downbeat, but I'm not thinking along those lines any more than that when we seek to evaluate something like AI, one of the questions, or not just one question, but a whole raft of questions that we need to bear in mind, are the questions that address, in some sense or other, the ultimate questions of what life is all about, what matters, as I've called it, and as Derek Parfit called it before me, without really finding an answer. Poor soul. And so my question, to myself as much as to anyone listening, is are we sufficiently critical of our objectives? Are we even sufficiently critical of what we might think of as our successes and even of our contentment? If per adventure, and it does happen, you might not think so if you've listened to all 400 whatever it is of these episodes, but if I find myself in a position where I feel comfortable, happy, fulfilled, secure, that I've in a sense made it in some sense or other, and therefore am, whatever the word might really mean, successful or a success, if I find myself there, then could it not be the case that that is the very moment at which I should most sternly scrutinise the criteria that I'm using that produce that feeling. Now there's an obvious objection, which is that feelings are just feelings, as I used to say to people in my counselling days. In other words, feelings are not good or bad, they're just there. And therefore, if you feel good, you should probably rejoice. How can you be mistaken about being happy? How can you be mistaken about feeling fulfilled? Could you possibly be mistaken about that sense of success? Well, the way I've asked the question probably telegraphs the notion that I think, yes, you can. We can very easily wallow in a delusory happiness, a delusory sense of success, and we can very easily wallow in a kind of self-congratulatory warmth and comfort that represents not the peak of the highest mountain, but either the peak of one of its foothills or, to change the metaphor, just the latest hole that we happen to have fallen into or pit. And you may say, well, that's pretty depressing. That's pretty downbeat. Surely, you say, if I feel good, I am good. 
Um, well, I think the answer to that is almost, I'm tempted to say, self-evidently not the case. After all, there is a delusory happiness that comes out of a bottle of whiskey or a syringe. There is a delusory calm that comes out of a cigarette packet. There are all kinds of comfort and senses of success and achievement that come from finding oneself or engineering oneself into a situation that is destructive of other people and of ourselves. We can perfectly well be mistaken about being happy because we can be working with a conception of happiness that is itself illusory and delusory, if there is such a word. And therefore the problem that this whole series has in a sense been getting to grips with is where do you find, or can you find, is there anywhere to be found some stance, some purchase, some place to place the lever that will move the world, is there such a place? Because we've established long ago that there is no view from nowhere. There are indeed only views that presuppose certain sets of assumptions. And from what I've been saying, I'm sure you can see that even those most cherished assumptions, carefully sifted and chosen to be optimal, in our wisest and most focused and intense and serious and well-intentioned moments, even those criteria could still be wrong. And that's remarkable and disturbing but probably not as disturbing as the amount of wind that may be making this inaudible. A wind that is rising as I speak and uh, could well bring rain with it, although I look behind me from the direction in which it is coming and the sky is clear. So, strange weather. But even bad weather brings some benefits. After all, it seems that every autumn we have strong winds that help the trees to shed their leaves and help them to overwinter. And although we may not like it, and though it may make recording a podcast in it folly, as it almost certainly will prove to be, nevertheless those winds do serve a purpose and they bring change with them. As my daughter was saying in her walk the pod only on I think Wednesday this too shall pass and there is nothing like a breath of wind or on this particular occasion a gale to make things pass all the quicker. Well I haven't provided any answers here but I wanted to insert this reflection before we come back to evaluate what the implications of all these advances in AI may be, because in the end, they will, the way we evaluate them will in, 
de inevitably depend upon what we think matters, upon what in the end we count as good and bad for you and me. And that of course will differ as it always has depending on our points of view. The one thing I should be very careful not to assume is that my point of view is necessarily best just because from it I derive some sense or other of happiness, contentment or fulfilment. Because that could be the most illusory sense we make of the world of all. Thank you for listening.